0: New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford stepping up, going left side, watch Calvin. Zone, got him. Oh, baby,
1: that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slay. No one will catch him. Touchdown
0: Lions. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Michael Rothstein Show. This episode brought to you by Indeed and by Bet Online. Go check out our sponsors and you know, give them some help tough times out there for everybody. So, week one is over for at least the Daryl Bevel era. Daryl Bevel even said on Monday afternoon that this was the last kind of new thing he had to do, which was talk to the media after the game. And he talked for, I don't know, it was probably like 15 minutes or so. It felt like that. And once again, the vibe just feels totally different. He opened by wishing Mike O'Hara, the longtime DetroitLions.com, and before that Detroit News writer, a happy birthday. He joked around a little bit. It's, he he just, It's just a much different atmosphere in Zoom media conferences. And you can understand, even, again, that's a small thing, right? But it translates because... If he's like that with the media, you get the sense that that's what it's like in the locker room, in meetings. And you can see it, too, in everything that has happened over the past week. And I know that we've been harping on this over and over again about how things are different, but they just are at this point. It's just completely and totally obvious. Daryl Bevel just seems like he's already getting comfortable in this role. Yes, it's only been one game, and he's got the teeth at the back end of the schedule to go. But I'm not saying he's going to do amazing things. Like, Don't read into that at all. I'm just saying that he seems like he's very comfortable in where he is right now, and it seems like the players are really buying into that couple other things I thought were pretty interesting, and then we're going to get to the main part of our show today, which is our guest, former Detroit Lions front office member, former Detroit Lions player, and former interim general manager, Sheldon White, will join the show after the break. Really happy Sheldon decided to do this, thought it would be interesting to get his perspective considering he was the last interim that the Lions truly had before Daryl Bevel and how all of that went obviously situations are way different now than they were in the middle of the 2015 season and also the roles are way different but I wanted to kind of get his perspective on things and also kind of catch up with what he has been up to so it was a fun conversation to have but before we get there just wanted to hit on a couple of things that I thought were pretty interesting Amani Awarie, the cornerback I asked him basically how things changed for him from the first quarter to the fourth quarter because it looked like he was playing a lot better. And he said that early on the team was doing just some different stuff that they hadn't been doing before. So it took him a little while to get used to that. And I think you could tell that too because as we talked about on yesterday's show, the Lions ran markedly more zone than they ran man, which is obviously a change from so much of what they've done under Matt Patricia. So that could take some getting used to. And Warrior also said that he felt like they were playing freer, that they were playing not necessarily in fear of making a mistake and what that could mean. And I asked him if that was kind of how they felt earlier. And he's kind of said, yeah, kind of, sort of. It was enlightening because I think it, again, gives another window into kind of what maybe some of the defensive problems were. And listen, this defense has issues. They've got issues in the back seven. They've got issues in the front seven. They've got issues at linebacker. They've got some problems all over the place. We've hit on those a lot yesterday and, and really all season and really all of Matt Patricia's tenure. But I thought it was quite interesting that a warrior would at least be open enough to say, Yeah, listen, you know, we were we're getting used to different things. And that's a pretty open admission, and again, their defense was not great by any stretch of any imagination on Sunday against the Bears, but it seems like they are just getting used to stuff, which to me, that's kind of where I think you can start to maybe see changes. And I'll be curious to see what changes come here in this week against Green Bay because they have a little bit more of an idea of what Daryl Bevel wants, what Corey Unlam wants. And if you remember, it's kind of interesting in that this is the same week one, week two combination that Matt Patricia started with that really sent this whole thing going straight downhill for Matt Patricia. This season was how the Lions finished against Chicago and then really came out in totality against the Packers. So that's a good potential benchmark too. Although, obviously, it's flipped with going to Chicago and having Green Bay come to Detroit. But it's an an interesting little time frame for that to happen. So I just thought those things were pretty interesting. And I don't want to take away from any time getting into the bulk of the conversation today, which is Sheldon White, who will be coming up right after this break. 2020 has already reshaped how we work. And it's almost over. Much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. With more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore, Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly. So you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. That's right. No long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job. Making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month according to Comscore total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And football, as we have seen is very much back in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season-opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE. All one word, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein Show played for the Detroit Lions and the New York Giants, but you probably know him better for his time in the front office with the Lions. He even was interim general manager for a few games back in 2015. Sheldon White, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. So I think people probably want to know first, what have you been up to the last few years? I think some people probably know you were at Michigan State for a little while, but kind of... What's been going on since you left the Lions?
1: Uh, Initially, the best thing I did, I was able to spend a lot of time with my family. Uh, My son, Cody White, ended up being the 2016 Michigan-Michigan football player of the year. And I was able to enjoy watching him play, go through his football, basketball, baseball, and track seasons where he was all conferencing all four of those. My daughter was also the volleyball MVP at her high school and played soccer as well. So, spending a lot of family time um, with them. And then I had the unique opportunity with Coach D'Antonio um, where I was at home and um, I had two people calling me. Mean, Kevin Wilson wanted me to come help him out at University of Indiana, just with some some things that they had going down there. And, and Coach Antonio contacted me and asked me if I'd like to help him. So prior to him retiring, I just went up there and, and helped him and had the unique opportunity to watch my son play college football, as well as my daughter end up going to Michigan State as well. So it's, it's been more focused on family time. Um, the 2015, when you have two kids that are still in high school, and you're um, and you're um, looking for a job. I just decided not to, like, go 100 miles an hour at NFL gigs. The only gig in Michigan is Detroit Lions, so I decided to stay local and um, uh, focus on the family. And uh, it was a blessing. And it was a
0: great time. Was was that a difficult decision for you? Because you know, once you get out of the league, it's sometimes tough to get back in. So was that hard to make that decision at that time? And then. Was that part of why you tried to maybe go somewhere college-wise? And obviously, when Cody went to Michigan State, it probably made a lot of sense that way.
1: I've always chosen to, since my younger years, um, I allow, I'm faith-based, so I allow the man upstairs to kind of guide me on which direction I'm heading. So um, it wasn't a difficult decision for me because I really wanted to focus in on my family, um, especially during those those years, that, those priceless high school years that you'll never get back prior to your kids leaving the home. So um, it wasn't a difficult decision for me at all to, to just kind of go on pause for a little while and, and make sure that um, everything's well at home.
0: So you go work at Michigan State. By the way, are you still at Michigan State? I, I don't, I, it's a little unclear, it seems like. <laughs> I was with Coach Antonio. So when okay. he retired,
1: um, I've known Mel Tucker a long time, wish him well, but um, he had his own group and I was with Coach Antonio's group. So when Coach Antonio uh, retired, it's about the time I, was, I left there.
0: So what have you been up to in the last, I guess, eight months or so, nine months, 10? Well, I guess it's about a year now. Um, Like everyone else, washing
1: hands, social distancing, (laughs) (laughs) trying to stay away from the virus. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Besides that, though, um, basically just helping some people out, you know, helping my family members out. I have some young professionals now. Uh, My oldest son. Uh, he's in California now as an actor so i 'm working helping with him a little bit with his portfolio the financial portfolio I'm, My background is finance I had a finance degree out of Miami University when i came out so and then um, my my second son Jordan um, is an i t field engineer he 's been in, a field engineer for the last year or so, so just getting started with him and helping him out with with the basic things and obviously my son Cody was in a draft process last year he's a free agent. Uh, excuse me, he's a, a practice squad player for the Pittsburgh Steelers now. So just kind of helping them with their financial um, opportunities there. Um, the NFL also did call me and ask me to join an, an HBCU advisory committee. Um, so I joined them as well just to stay busy and current. And then I do some trading and some things on the side just to, to make sure as well as, you know, walk around my beautiful lake that I live around.
0: <laughs> That's I was gonna say you can't really do that as much now in the winter, although right now today when we're recording this, it's really sunny in Michigan, but it's a little cold to do that these days. <laughs> Well, it's
1: not code Michigan. You know, you could probably come out in 40 degree weather without a shirt on here. It's the way you were born and raised. I'm from Ohio anyway. <laughs> uh, plus, it's a little bit of a role reversal with my wife, which has been really, really interesting because I was the one putting in the 14 hours. And now she has two jobs. Um, she works as a parent in high school. And she also works with this autism network and, and goes into the home with a, a kid with, um, with autism um, post hours and, and and works with him individually. It's the mother hand part comes out on her, too. So now I'm forced to do some of the cooking and <laughs> breakfast and some of the things. It's a complete role reversal. And so um, it's been pretty interesting to, to 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 see the dynamic happening in the household right now.
0: The HBCU piece of that, explain, I think, to people what that is and, and what y'all are trying to do with that. Well,
1: the, the NFL contacted me as well as some other guys, Scott Pioli. Uh, James Shaq Harris, Doug Williams, uh, Jerry Reese, Clyde Powers, Dick Daniels just kind of called us and they wanted us to kind of just, you know, do it, uh, have an additional look, evaluation on some of the players that are playing HBCU. I mean, really just kind of come up with some ideas on how to give them some additional exposure. Um, less players are being drafted than, than in the past for various reasons, and I know that's, I was in college, but. Um, so just kind of making sure you give them a little exposure, make some more recommendations for bowl games, um, potentially create a combine if we ever are not in a COVID situation, having another combine, an alternate combine, with just to uh, trying to find additional ways to make sure that these guys have a proper look. And uh, just, you know, be a supplemental look to what the NFL teams are already doing. They're fantastic. These NFL teams are all over the country anyway, but it's just an additional look and something for us to make sure that we're covering all our bases. Roger Goodell's good
0: at that. Was there a concern that players from HBCUs were not getting properly looked at beforehand? Was that part of this or...?
1: Um, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that at all. Uh, being on the NFL teams, guys have their areas. And if you don't know it, I'll start going back to my, my initial evaluation prospect. When I first got hired with the Lions, I was a member of the Blesto Combine as well. And my job was uh, the four southern states, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And my job was to know every player in those, in those states. Every player at every school at every level. So that's being combed pretty well by the NFL teams. And anyway, it's just an additional supplement.
0: Okay. So I want to go back a little bit. And part of why I reached out to you initially was the last time the Lions had an interim anything was you. <laughs> <laughs> what is that like as an interim? Well, the first thing you have to realize,
1: too, initially, is, is that there's only 32 of these jobs in the world. So um, and I consider like a, a an administration, kind of like a presidential administration, you're asked to serve for an owner. Um, there's 32 of them in the world. Uh, Mrs. Ford, I was blessed that she asked me to be in that interim role for her for eight weeks. So it was a phenomenal uh, accomplishment. And, uh, uh, and I appreciated every moment of that. But on the other end of it now, when you're in that interim role, you want to make sure you're not – you don't come across as the substitute teacher who gets balls of paper thrown at you in the back of the room. So you had to – you know, you had to make sure – the interim role was, was interesting. It's a little different than this one now because I still had a head coach. It wasn't just – it was just the interim general manager. It was an interim general manager and interim head coach. So just making sure that you you kept ordering the building, making sure that um, – Everyone around the building knew that, they, that their processes and things that they were doing and how they were doing their business that would, would stay somewhat intact with some a little different direction from whatever you were attempting to get done at that moment. But just make sure that um, people knew that you had their backs and you had to continue to fight through whatever. Um, I, told our, I had a meeting with our team right away, and I told them, they may call me an interim general manager, but, but the reality of NFL sports or any place where there's an owner, is we're all interim. I'm an interim general manager. You're an interim player. Everyone in the building is interim except the owner. They're the only ones that are going to stay in infinitely. So you had to make sure that some you knew that some guys had more rope than others, but we're all interim. We're here for a short amount of time, so take care of your business while you're here and stay focused.
0: When you were in that interim job, did you feel like it was an audition for maybe getting the job full time or did you kind of know that this is going to be what it is and then we'll see kind of what happens with whoever they hire or I know I'm probably out after after this
1: at the moment um I had a really a uh, good early initial meeting with Rod Wood we were talking and I had told him specifically I'm just here to win I got I don't know it's the same thing I you know my family members they've been around with me for I was there for 19 years. i tell him, come to the game my first or second year because I never know how long I want to be here. Okay, so now it's year 19, right, and you're still there because you know it's not going to last forever. So really the focus wasn't on me finding a job or anything else. Mrs. Ford asked me to – she told me right away she wanted to win. And so my focus was on trying to find time to, uh, and things that, that I could do to win, win games. I'll never forget one of the things uh, Tom LeJuan told me when I first took the job was he said you won't need an alarm clock anymore and I was like okay and then when you get in the job you realize that there's so many things and ideas and thoughts on how to get better and you're really more focused on those things than focusing on your individual um, situation at the moment so it was all about trying to win as many games as we could we're six and two um, 750 winning percentage hey I got the best winning percentage in NFL history um, so I might want to keep it that way <laughs> and if Aaron Rodgers didn't throw a freaking Hail Mary at the end of uh, a game we're seven and one at the end so you take one and seven you flip it to six and two almost seven and one that was the goal at the time it wasn't about my own personal status
0: do you th- since you brought up that Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary do you think if that ends up incomplete or they don't throw the flag on Devin Taylor that you might have gotten that job permanently because you would have been seven and one potentially eight and because I don't know if you lose that next week to the Rams because that Rams it wasn't like that Rams team was any good you know like do you do you think that that could have really changed things?
1: Um, I don't really look at it that way. It's it's the old defensive back in me. You know when you play in the NFL whether you scored a touchdown or you gave up a touchdown you kind of look at the screen you assess what happened and try to correct things so. Um, and once it's over, it's over. Uh, you move on to the next thing. Um, so the defensive back part in me just said, hey, you know, that, that's not anything to worry about or, or think about the hypotheticals. It's it's what am I going to do now? Um, and focus on the now versus focusing on the what ifs.
0: What was that – you mentioned that I, – I, I don't mean to harp on it, but that Hail Mary game like right? because – what was that like for you as a GM? Because you guys said in your first game as a – uh, as an interim GM, you win in Green Bay for the first time in forever. You know, things seem to be getting on a roll, and then that happens. Like, what is that like in that night, in that moment?
1: <laughs> Actually, that wasn't what happened that game. I We hadn't – and you have to check the, the – time frame but I think we hadn't beaten them in 23 years in Green Bay that was my initial Green Bay game yeah that's what
0: what I was talking about yeah yeah that was your first game and then the Hail Mary was the second one that's what I was talking about sorry if that wasn't clear in mind
1: oh oh it's okay but it's Aaron Rodgers man you just pray that he doesn't get another opportunity one of the unique things about not working with Elias I can root for Aaron Rodgers a little bit in the Tom Brady's because I used to hate him when I was in the interim job right (laughs) I mean that was your arch enemy but uh, being able to sit back now and just watch them is kind of it's fun to uh, appreciate their 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 ability. So um, no, I don't look at it that way. It was just oh my god, we gave him another opportunity, and and he was able to capitalize on it.
0: What was the second half of that season like? It was a
1: lot of fun for us, just because uh, I I felt like um, I had to make sure that you have to in every job you get in that in that role it's the person you have to respect the person, not the title. And, and, and that respect of the person has to be earned. So my goal at the moment was trying to earn everyone's trust, um, earn the respect of them. And then also make sure that the head coach, know, Hey, you know, Regardless of how long, like I said, it wasn't really about me, but when you're in that situation, you're trying to keep as many jobs in the building as you can. You want those guys to know that you you have their back and you're, you're rooting that everyone stays, even though you know you're in the NFL and things are going to change. Um, so it was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because we were hitting on all cylinders. I mean, we were winning and winning, and, you know, the games were fun. The, the crowd was electric. Um, I was having a time of my life being in a job that, you know – uh, like I said, there's one of 32 of them in the world, and I'm in it, and we're winning. We're having success while we're here. So it was, it was a really um, exciting time that I enjoy uh, as part of my life story.
0: When that season ends, you did interview for the job. What was that like, that interview like? Because you had this eight game, you, know, you had 18 and a half years of, you know, resume, but you also had the half year where there was some success. so what was that interview like in that what was it few days right after the season or did, you, did that interview for you even happen before the season ended?
1: Uh, one of the things that we 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 did every week um, which was part of their process is every Tuesday we met um, we had a i like to call it an almost an almost board meeting and sometimes they were board meetings where we would meet and and review things with a specific um, high high level of group of people that were involved in it um, small small group but uh, uh the, the the main the main guys so and girls so, so we would be in the, those meetings every Tuesday which I thought was part of the, the process prior to the interview the interview the actual official interview didn't happen until weeks after the season and it was very professionally done.
0: Did you think coming out of that interview you had a shot?
1: I didn't look at that at that way. I, I just what I wanted to do. And I've always felt like this. And I spoke with the players about this is when you're in these roles and this is everyone, you know, but I have always just felt like you max out. Um, you give the best presentation you can give and you do the best you can do. That's what the man upstairs God tells us to do. And so you, you do the best you can do in that opportunity and then you go home and you feel good about it. Um, it's a billion dollar business. The owners can hire whoever they want to hire. If they hired you for eight games, it was awesome. I was in charge. I can tell guys I was in charge of a billion dollar business for eight weeks and we were successful. Um, but if they want to hand it to someone else, that's their call. And so you, um, you just do the best you can and you go home and you feel good about it. The NFL, you you know that right away. I mean, Think about LeBron James when you're trying to cover LeBron James, and you know you've studied him, you've done everything you can, and you know as soon as he lifts the ball over his head, he's going to fake left and go right, and so you're all prepared for it. He fakes left and goes right, and he dunks on you, and you go after the game. They say, "Well, NFL guys don't." Yeah, you cared. I did my study and I did everything I could. He's just a little bit better, (laughs) or he just went that way and he dunked on you anyway. So that's why I've always looked at these things, interviews or anything I'm doing in life. Give my best, full effort. And then whatever it is, that's not in my hands. This is someone else's hands to make that decision. And then I have to follow the faith of wherever God tells me to go. So it wasn't my time to stay there. So I that. And I gave a great effort when I was there. Um, when I left there, I promise you, this is a true story. You can ask my wife. I slept for three weeks because you feel like the weight of the whole state is on you. At 4 p.m., either they're going to feel good or feel bad. And you're in charge of it now. There's no one else to point the finger at or anyone else or to, to look at. You were in charge of making the decisions, and the decisions were good. If they're not, then the whole town's upset. You know, it's interesting. I went to the uh, post office last week, and there's and, um, a guy behind the counter. We haven't talked for um, – I've seen him behind the counter. He's seen me, and he's never really mentioned it. Out of the blue, he said, hey, so are you going to take another shot at that? And I was like, what? I didn't even know that he knew who I was. So, like, my point is the whole town is looking – and they want, they're looking for, they want, they want some, they want to feel good Sunday afternoon about their, their team, their hometown team. So you want to put in all the effort you can, and then the results are the results when you want to know that the effort was put in place. So you slept for three weeks? Yes, I was exhausted. Um, you got to think about that time. You know, we had lost our president at that moment. Um, I think Rod came, Rod Wood came in probably two or three weeks, was named the president. So we had lost our president, we had lost our general manager. And then I was the vice president of pro personnel. Now I'm the general manager slash vice president of pro personnel slash portions of the president part that was, were football related. The other part with and Mackey at that moment. I mean, she was handling the business side, but there were a lot of uh, jobs that were being done. And uh, just getting taken care of. So, yeah, I was pretty – I was exhausted at that moment. But I felt good about it because I felt like I did as good as I could do. And the guys and, and the, the guys had some success when we were there. We, you know, we won six out of our eight games. And, and then Jim Caldwell got to stay. And some of the other guys in the building got to stay for a while. And, you know, you're happy for them. A guy like Stephen Neal, who I hired, I, it, he was one of my interns during training camp. And um, I told him if I ever get a chance, I want to hire him. And I get the interim gig and now I need some help. I need some hands, some extra additional hands. So I bring him back and hire him and he's still there now. You know, so that was the goal, like in our business, you're trying to hope that, in my opinion, especially as I age, you just want to help guys get to where they, they want to get and, um, and be a part of their growth. So um, I was excited to see some guys that had opportunity to stay a little longer.
0: Did, did that give you, even though you were no longer there, did that, it sounds like that gave you some, some solace. Like, even though you were gone and sleeping for three weeks, that Caldwell stayed, Stephen Neal stayed, that most of that staff stayed, a lot of that, that player group stayed for another year or so.
1: It's a volatile profession. And so the longer you can stay and the more you can help anyone that that's, um, that you feel like you can, anybody I feel I can give a, a hand to to help them get better and, at what they're doing or just give them my opinion whether you want to hear it or not um it's always been a blast for me
0: have people reached out to you since either to come back into front offices or even just for advice or consulting like jim caldwell has been on a couple podcasts and he said that he went to the vikings for like weeks to kind of understand their building like did you start doing some of that stuff too to prep for if you ever wanted to get back in I'd like to. I like to keep
1: those conversations conf- confidential. It, this is my approach with that. Um, it's like the same thing. Like when I had individual meetings with Mrs. Ford or conversations, those are things I'll take to my grave. And there's guys now that you're out, they're like, "Hey, tell me about what happened in the boardroom." And it's like, no, I can't, um, whether I'm there or not. So I like to keep some of those confidential. But I will tell you though that I I have been in consultation with some teams. Um, and I've also um, met with some teams on some some issues specifically this year in two thousand and twenty. Um, but I'll keep that between me and the teams. Do you want to get back in? I'll find out with. Uh, like I said, this is faith based. Um, I'll find out what's 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 going on with um, where the man upstairs wants to take me. Right opportunity comes about. You, you I'd have to at least research it. Yes.
0: What, what do you think makes a good, because you, you were in that seat, and before that, and we'll get into it a little bit, you worked your way up, and you've worked for multiple general managers, even though it was in one organization. What do you think makes a good general manager?
1: The first thing is, uh, okay, it's player-driven. Uh, the players, you got to find, you have, they have to trust. You have to build, first off. you have to build trust around the building. Like I said, it's not a matter of, people are going to respect your title, they have to respect you. Um, So you have to, to be that way. You have to go around the building and they have to know that you're energized. They have to know that you're, you're focused. um, You have great ideas. You're open to conversation with others and input. Um, But at the same time though, those players is really, whatever it is, you have to find out what gets them ticked and what makes them play. What, how can I get this guy to play? And that's not just a, a, a one-person time a one person thing. It's more of a trying to dig into the, the information and the background of these players and finding out what makes them tick and why are you playing the game and what, how can, what can I do to help you get better um, and, and find a way to get those guys to play, find a way to get the coaches to coach, find the guys in a building that are energized around you and your plan, uh, make sure everybody's on the same page um, and, and really just, uh, being in support, but they have to trust that um, you have their best interests at heart in a very, very volatile uh, situation.
0: Are there, are there, how do you build that trust then? Is it just, yeah, how do you build it?
1: I think it's just over time and it's by your own behaviors uh, first. um, Also being very prepared. I mean, you're going into a meeting, you know, my my wife's a a teacher by trade. She's a language arts, language arts teacher. And just the prep going into a classroom Prior to it, you know, you sit back and you watch how you do that um, and making sure when you hit go into a meeting, you know, you you got your T's crossed, your I's dotted and making sure that you have great ideas. But I always felt like you need good input from the others too. They have to they have to know as well. You also have to, in that position, you, you don't have time to do everything. Um, and so, like, when you're younger in it, you just say, okay, I'll work a little harder. If you're an NFL player, I'll work a little harder. It's always worked out for you. Um, I'll, I'll get work a little harder now. I'm starting again. Now you're in that position. It's, it's too big to do everything. So you have to have um, great delegation skills and ability to understand who does what well underneath you and hiring good people underneath you so you can get jobs and processes done so you don't have to dig down into a lower level. Um, as a general manager, you have to keep your head above on the big picture of things and not just be stuck in some process that's not going well. Um. So you would hope that the guys underneath you that you hire, they're they're doing their processes, and you can keep your eyes on the big picture, uh, which will allow you to see everything a little bit clear, clear, more clearly than being stuck in a failing area or two, and you're digging into that, and then the other things go bad. So making sure you have great hires, making sure that they're they're competent as well, and then having a good plan for them.
0: It did because of your multitude of roles at once when you were interim general manager. Did you learn that maybe better than somebody who might even just come in right off the bat because you were being pulled in all of those directions? Um, You're being pulled a little bit, but like this, having the pulse of
1: the building, I thought was very good at that moment. Um, And, and I had built good relationships with a lot of the people in the building and, and um. I had my thoughts on who, was, who could do things well and who couldn't. <laughs> just like there's probably some people that were going, why did they pick him? But um, regardless of what happened, it was a great time. We had a lot of success when, when we were in that time frame.
0: What was your favorite moment from that?
1: My favorite moment really was the first game um, because, you know, it, it was just different. You know, there were a lot of things behind the scenes going on that weren't friendly. Um, and it had nothing to do with me being hired or the firings. It was just some internal um, situations that with players that I can't discuss ever. Um, but um, there were some fires we had to put out prior to that game. Um, and when, once we got to the game, the first one, it was just, it was special because I was there the last time we beat the green Bay Packers in green Bay. And it had been that long. I was part of that football team and um To go there with an interim general manager, one and seven, and you're thinking, here comes Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and they're high-fiving, and the fans are energized, and we find a way collectively as a group to win that game was very special, very special. Being the first win, too, is very special. But just winning that game, getting rid of that, quote, curse uh, in Green Bay was a – Probably a very probably was the best. That was probably the best time of the the whole time. It was just beating those Green Bay Packers in Green Bay for the first time in ever. I think nineteen ninety one or nineteen ninety two or something like that.
0: You you mentioned having to put out fires. Did you know those fires existed before you got thrust into that role, or was that one of the things you were like, oh, "Okay, this is something new that I didn't know actually was going on in the building"?
1: Well, there's a lot of things that that are that are happening at the highest level. Some of them happen spontaneously and other ones were going on anyway Um, but those are some things that were left confidential that were all of a sudden thrust on your desk and then it was your turn to manage them Um, and you know I had you know Martin Mayhew and Tom Lawan are still great friends of mine they called me about a few things and we we had some nice chats too you know because they wanted they wanted us to do well as well you know that profession like I said we served and we served for a amount of time, and you wanted to leave it in a better place. Um, so when those guys left, they wanted to continue to look better, you know. And so the same thing with me. I wanted to just work there and get, get as much done as I could while I was there and help Mrs. Ford out. Um, thank you for the opportunity, and you kind of you went from there.
0: You mentioned, obviously, that you were part of that team that won the last time in Green Bay before that streak started. What was your time like as a player in Detroit?
1: Um, I came here injured. Um, in today's world, I probably would have been waived, injured, and claimed at that moment. I had a high ankle sprain when I was here, uh, when I when I came here. So, and I was, they claimed me, and then they put me on a shelf. I played probably three years in three games in 1990, the last three games before I was really healthy enough to play. Uh, and so then I'm coming in in 1991 season when we finished 12 and four. It was phenomenal. It was great because she knew the fans. I mean, when you have an 82,000 seat stadium in the Silver Dome and, and you start off the season and there's a negative tone to, to it, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, we win six out of our first eight games. And then Rodney Pete goes down, and then comes third team Aaron Kramer. We lose two in a row. We're six and four. We're done. <laughs> and then we roll off seven games in a row. It was unbelievable. Phenomenal. You just knew the crowd and the people in Detroit and how how much they starve for great football. You know, going to Michigan State, think about this. I mean, it was out for me, and you lived it as well. I'm from Ohio. But to have a full stadium at Michigan State and or Michigan on Saturday, 75000 at Michigan State, a thousand plus at Michigan, and then on Sunday you fill up an 82,000-seat Silverdome, that's unbelievable for a fan base and a crowd of people um, that just want their team to do well, want to have someone to root for. So football town, I grew up in Ohio, same thing, football town, you got to love it, you know, and enjoy it. And so it was a great time because we were winning and, and we, we had the most wins in uh, Detroit line history that year when we finished with thirteen total. So it was just a, it was an exciting time. We got, we were one game away. We just ran into that buzzsaw Washington Redskins team that beat us the first time. They beat us again. Um, and watch, excuse me, Washington football team. Um, but it's uh, It was an exciting time when I was here.
0: Did you think in 91 that y'all were on the cusp of really being maybe like Dallas or San Francisco or even that Washington team was because of the talent you had? Like, was there that feeling after that season? I do because
1: um, we had a lot of injuries in that year, and we kept winning through the injuries, and you're waiting for guys to get healthy come back um, and we had a couple real difference makers. I mean, in 1991, Herman Moore may have caught 10 balls. He was a rookie, you know, all of a sudden now Herman Moore turns into Herman Moore in 92. And you, you got Barry Sanders on your team. So you had some difference maker type players. Um, And then you had a a solid core players that were, that were solid Benny blades and some of those guys. So you're, you know, we felt good about our chances at that moment.
0: So what, I mean, obviously you're only there for another year after that. Like what, what, why did, because people still look at that era as maybe the most successful in the modern era for the Lions. Why did that not happen? Why did that not actually take off like that?
1: I just think when you <laughs> – you got 32 man, and, um, and uh, the, the key is being a, a, a contender year after year, a consistent contender. Uh, we had some ups and downs. I think the next year in nine, 1992, we finished 6-10. and 10. I believe it was or something like that. And then we went nine and seven a year in 1993, you know, there were some ups and downs and you're kind of hoping that some of the hiccups went away. And you just were a consistent product. We were a little up and down at that time, but I thought we had players to contend um, to, to contend for a title. So you were hoping we built on that and, and uh, it just didn't happen at that moment. But when you're in the playoffs, six out of, I think it was six out of eight years before Paul Edinger kicked the 54 yard field goal in 1997, I think it was, or, was it two thousand? In two thousand, it was nineteen. Two thousand kicks a fifty-four yard field. We were play out six out of eight years. So when you when you have a product like that, um, it 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 says that you're 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 you you're you are you are doing some things right. I'll put it that way. You're just hoping that the ball rolls right, or coach makes the right call, and you win a game, a close game, and you you take it a little farther. But uh, we were closer at that moment.
0: You you mentioned obviously you mentioned your finance degree a couple of times. When you get done playing, what made you want to stay in the football life versus go to Wall Street or go start an investment thing? Like what made you say that you wanted to stay in football?
1: (laughs) Um, Just because it's football. And when I say that, um, um, I literally had a um, a guy, on the, I can't remember his name, on the Federal Reserve Board was trying to help me out get started. So what what I was trying to do at that moment is, you know, when you get past that three-year level when you're playing, and I played for six before my I had a career and a neck injury in my sixth season, you get past that three-year mark and you start saying, okay, hey, I'm, I'm beating the odds here. I'm, I'm better than average. So what I did the last two years is I was an accounting intern student with the Power & Light company in Dayton, a place called Dayton Power & Light. I would literally work forty-hour days from January until about March, uh, May, and then I would focus in on football. Um, so I would—I was—I turned into an intern, just starting in preparation for post-life football. Um, and they were ready to hire me. I was getting interviews from banks. I remember Provident. There was a bank in Cincinnati called Provident Bank. I was getting some of those interviews, and then the old ball coach calls from Miami, Ohio. It was Terry Heppner who was my defensive back coach and he was working for Randy Walker and he calls and says, Hey, there's an opening with football. I mean, I was literally about, I'll bet you no more than a month away from being hired um, and just the regular, you know, business world. And I get a call from a football coach. So you start thinking, okay, ball coach versus uh, finance. I think I still got this football in my blood. So I go in and start coaching wide receivers in Miami, Ohio, and it just took off from there. And you just stuck stuck with it.
0: What made you go from, from coaching it. to scouting?
1: It's the same thing when I talk about being faith based. Um, and I'll say this too. When I went to Miami, Ohio. I thought I was a receiver. And the first week someone said, Hey man, you doing <laughs> you're DB. You know, I backpedaled the first time and a guy told me after I left there, we knew you were a pro the first time you backpedaled. You just didn't know it. And we knew you had to develop. So sometimes, you know, when I talk about being faith-based and sometimes driven by God and some other forces, sometimes people have to tell you what you're doing well at. So I was a young coach. Uh, Luckily for me, when I first got hired, Sean Payton and I got hired the same day. Sean was a quarterback coach at Miami, Ohio, and I was a receiver coach. So you talk about getting up to speed in a hurry. And when he left, the quarterback coach now with the Washington football team, Ken Zampese, got hired after that we had his older, his dad would come in and help us, Ernie Zampese, who was an office coordinator for years. So, you know, you're, you're going in, you're a young coach. I'm coaching receivers, which I thought was great because it was the other side of the ball from what I played DB since college. Now all of a sudden I'm coaching wide receivers. And it gave me a great view to become a scout because I've learned both sides of the football, not just the player part but the uh, X and O part of how things are put together so I learned both sides three years in, and, and um, I literally – I called Wayne Fonson, but I asked him if I could have a coaching internship there. And he told me that the internships from coaching were, were – they were full already, but we have a scouting internship available for you if you'd like to come up. So I'm like, sure. So I come up for the in- scouting internship with Ron Hughes and Kevin Colbert, and uh, it just happened that the scouting was – I was doing probably – at that moment I was probably a better scout than I was a coach. And so I got into uh, the Lions call. I'm at Miami, Ohio. The NFL team calls you from Miami, Ohio. Do you want to continue coaching? you want to scout at that moment? I didn't care. I just wanted to stay around football. So I rolled the dice and talked to my wife about it. And we went into uh, scouting for a few years. I really still didn't know which direction I was headed. And then scouting took off. You know, every year it was promotion after promotion. And, and you know, next thing you know, uh, Ron Hughes is telling me that, hey, I want you to work under Kevin under Kevin Colbert and learn as much from him as you can because we're going to lose him. And we did, we lost him to Pittsburgh and he's still there. (laughs) So it's been great. It's been, it was a great transition and, and uh, I enjoyed the ride and um, just had fun with the football.
0: Did when Kevin left, did Kevin ask you to go with him? Because sometimes people will take people from their old staffs, you know, in different roles. Was that an option for you when Kevin left or? When Kevin left,
1: uh, he took off, but he was wanting me to he was handing me the keys to what he had done. So Charlie Sanders and I had about eight hours. <laughs> it's the most crazy time in the world. We we had eight hours where he sat down, I would say five, I'm uh, maybe maybe four hours, four or five hours where he just like threw all this stuff on us and we're like, okay. And then he's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and we're <they're> like, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Okay okay Sheldon and Charlie you got it we have what you know and so we had to really kind of jump on the fly but we had been learning under him for a while but just kind of take it and
0: run from there and, and keep it going like you mentioned like you realized at one point you are maybe a better scout than a coach was there a moment that told you that was there a point that told you that was there a player or a draft class or some sort of like pro personnel evaluation that told you yeah this is what I'm meant to do
1: I wouldn't say that I was a better scout than coach. I would say that I was probably more prepared to scout initially than coach, and and the acceleration of what was happening at that moment was happening faster as a scout than it was as a coach. Okay. the the, the promotions, the acceleration of growth uh, was just happening a little quicker at that moment.
0: You've been you were around the Lions for essentially twenty years. What? What's your favorite story from the entirety of the time from your franchise? From the franchise?
1: My favorite story. Oh, um, let me think about that one for a while. We can go to something else. I have to think about that one for a minute.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> so when you look at the at the way the NFL has evolved now, what okay,
1: do you, I can tell you. I'll, okay. I'll go. I'll go from there. Favorite story for me is, and it was more of an emotional one. Um, like I said, we're there to serve. So working under Matt Millen um, and things aren't working well. you take over you know that team and, and that right after that O 16 team when um, you're coming home every day and <laughs> you're talking to your wife and your kids and like oh no long much longer we're gonna be here we'll find out. But instead of leaving Mrs. Ford and uh, Mr. Ford um, and uh, a Martin Mayhew to be a general manager, Martin moves me up to vice president. And having that task of taking an 0-16 team, which was phenomenal accomplishment in my opinion, flipping an 0-16 team in three years and going to the playoffs three years later was unbelievable. It was a heck of a uh, a ton of work done by us, by Jim Schwartz, Tom LaJuan. But being able – getting that call, like I mentioned earlier, like even the interim gig, it was the same thing. Getting that call up during a crisis in a time when we were awful – um, as a team, um, and, and being able to take that product and flip it in three years, the, the the most defining moment was really when we won the game, and I believe it was against San Diego, to get in the playoffs that year and just the emotion of those three years of work, you know, being away from your family, spending a couple extra hours because you had to because we were that bad trying to find the next players and those things and having it all come together for that game. And then we just blew those, blew those guys out and qualify for the playoffs, and us, management, players, walking around the stadium, high-fiving the fans that have been patient, still coming. 16 they still came, you know, in the next year. Being able to take that team when they brought you up to a higher level and said, hey, it's your turn. We need more out of you to try to help get this thing going the right direction. And being able to flip an NFL – think about that. Flipping an NFL team from 16 to playoffs in three years – was a phenomenal feat with the group that we had and how we had to change and turn the roster. And we did it. Um, so that, that was a little bit of a, a more of a defining moment of just the work that, you know, that obviously the the higher guys had done. You know, I was a part of it. I got the ride to ride the back car as a vice president, but um, you know, Swartz and Martin Mayhew and Tom LeWine, what they had to do to get that boat head in the right direction again to become competitive um. So, taking a team that's not competitive and becoming competitive again was the first challenge. It was a defining
0: moment. I think a lot of people don't understand how hard that is to do. How? So, I'm just going to ask: How hard is that to actually make that happen in in this time frame that you got that y'all did?
1: Well, we had to hit on a lot of free agents. You know, when you got guys, and this is like over time when you have guys like Reggie Bush and Glover Quin's running, coming in in the door, Stephen Tullock's some leaders. Uh, Jason Jones, we, you know, we had so many of those guys that were walking in um, that were actually making an impact. Um, you had to hit at a high level there. Your draft choices had to play well. You had to have a couple difference makers, you know, so you got you get 81 out there catching the ball. You know, we needed some of those players um, that um, made a difference. Javid Best was a phenomenal uh, pick at that moment prior to being injured. So you know, we had a lot of players that we had to bring in and flip a lot of players and you had to hit on a high level to do that. Um and then like I said, it was building trust at that moment um that we were on the right track. Um and, and we were able to get some get something accomplished in a game that's very, very um uh win-loss based. Win, stay. Lose, see ya. Goodbye. Next. <laughs> and um, and so like walking that walk with everyone every, every day and putting the work and time and um it's very much appreciated over time when you talk to those guys um, you that you were involved in, in that process.
0: You mentioned the, you know, having to hit on a lot of players, whether it's free agents or draft picks, how much of that truly is, because every GM, every head coach misses on players one way or the other. So how much of it is understanding what you need versus some element of luck slash health slash chemistry?
1: Um, the biggest thing is having a, you have to have a great pulse for your own football team. Um, and, um, Martin and I had some really good early conversations when we were sitting down and we were talking about every guy that we brought in a building, if the money's the same, if we change a player out, he better be better. Cause you're letting a buddy go in a locker room. You know, there's a lot of factors involved in, in whether, um, when you're picking a player one way or the other. So, um just making sure that we're handling it right and and, and finding better players and always trying to get better you know everything it's not just a few things that matter everything matters everything matters and, and and trying to make sure that we we pick the players that that fit exactly what we're doing. you had to have a great feel for our football team talent wise you had to have a great feel for the scheme you know you can't just you know you can't just be a hey dude guy that comes out and says this guy ran four four you better know our scheme, you better know our players and how, the, how their talent level is. Um, you better have the other factors. You have to know the psychology part of them. You have to interview them, you know, have your, your, um, your player person, player development players, uh, people involved. Um, you have to know the, a little bit about their background. It's just, it was a bunch, that job in itself is a grind just to make sure you're trying to dig a little bit deeper inside of the player. How can this player work in this environment and this town and those type of things?
0: I want to hit on one thing that you just mentioned about, you know, that if you were going to replace a player of similar level, you know, of similar salary, they had to be better. The, that mindset, because you're taking a, a friend, a buddy out of the locker room, did that mindset come because both you and Martin were ex NFL players? So you saw what that was like. You lived that yourself. Is that part of why you think that happens where maybe a guy who's never played at that level wouldn't understand that potentially?
1: Um, I think it helps when you've been in a locker room or um, if you haven't been, you have a lot of people that have been in a locker room and understand the dynamic that goes on inside of that locker room. I think there's a a, a part of part of that. And even if you have a player development guy that's deep in it and, and and is able to get the information from the players, you know, the players are very guarded with, with their, you know, it's their short-term life and they're guarded with sometimes and you want to be able to have some, they have to trust you to be able to come to your office shut the door I used to say my house my office was like I just put the couch up it's a big old couch come on in anytime and close the door Um, I'm not a trained psychiatrist by any means but we're psychologists but having a guy be able to come upstairs and talk to you about what's going on down there and how things are going And, and not in a tattletale or you know in a cutthroat way but more in the lines of how can we get better um, and 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 making sure that the door is wide open. So we we're just trying to find ways to get better as a group, and having that trust down there that those players know that um, that um, you have their back, and that you're if you've been in there, it's, it's just different when you're in there. You kind of understand what they're going through and how they're going through it. Matter of fact, when I was there, um, I took over just the cut part of it, being cut. Yeah, I was the Turk. You know, and it would it would be a joke in the locker room later. They walk through and like, "Hey, Sheldon, get out of here!" <laughs> you know, we don't want you. Every time we see you here, you're pulling someone out, right? But you know, basically, I I remember had I had a three or four page uh, document on how to cut a player. This is how we cut a player to make sure that they have their dignity uh, in an inside and outside locker room. But just everything that a player may go through, I'm trying to if you've been in there, just trying to make sure that uh, when they come in they have the same respect for you when you leave um you know there's players when they leave your building you want them to be able to say you know what I, I got cut from there years later obviously not initially but like years year later they go you know that was a classy place man I, I man that was you know what they cut me but that was a classy place and being in college i go to some of those conventions and i unfortunately I, as when i'm in college and i go to a college convention who are the young coaches? There are a lot of players that are former NFL players. Some guys are coming up to me. I can half remember some of them. They're going, hey, you cut me back in the day. You know, it's like, yes, I did. You hope you did it right. You know what I mean? You talked to Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker used to always, like, jump in my ear and talk about how he was handled as a player. And he, liked just, you know, our style of how we were doing things. And, you know, just appreciated that when you're going through the ups and downs of trying to make an NFL team and stay on an NFL team. So just um, understanding it and, um, and hoping that when guys leave, they say, you know what? It didn't work for, out for me there, but those guys treated me with respect and with class. class.
0: What, what's that like? Because people hear the term the Turk all the time. Like that's a, you know, an NFL term that people, I think, no. What's that job actually like? Because that sounds like, frankly, the roughest job you can possibly have because that's your sole job is to go find people because you know they're fi- you're firing them. Well, it wasn't my sole job, but it
1: was part right. of it. And that, and, um,
0: that a specific role. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know the, the the tough part about it is, like I mentioned, it's just the dignity part. These players have worked their entire life to play an NFL with for an NFL football team, and now you're there and you're that close, and then someone's going to snatch it away. Lots of times, the last cut, they're snatching that away from a player who feels that they're they're that close to making it. So there's there's that part of it. There's financial issues. Um, sometimes there's there's um, a posse or entourage that are waiting for you to make it as well. You know, sometimes there can be a ton of pressure on players. Um, and just making sure you handle them well while they're going through it um, and being able to tell them, yeah, I was there. I went through it. I got cut too. You know, so you, you kind of, you know, you just wanted to make sure that that was handled in the proper way.
0: You mentioned you ran into some guys that you cut when you'd be going to college conventions. Like, was that ever awkward or, like, were people, like, pretty – because y'all feel you handled it in the right way, were people pretty good about it or – Most of the time the guys were
1: walking up to me, which was good. And they came – most of them came with a big old smile on their face. You know, a couple of guys when you'd see them and it still stung a little bit just because of the competitiveness of players. I mean, the different personalities that you're dealing with. But for the most part, it was positive
0: the last question i like to ask any person that i have on the show that's actually played is, is kind of just a fun one but it's like what's the best piece of trash talk you ever heard and like what's the best piece of tra- what's like the worst piece of trash talk you ever heard
1: <laughs> the best piece of trash talk that i've ever heard um don't know because I didn't talk when I was playing so I kept my mouth shut most of the time um and so I I, they didn't anyone who tried to engage me I just I walked away from them so I don't I don't really have any great stories there
0: so no one really no one really came I mean you were playing in the era of receivers in the 80s and 90s where guys were running their mouths all the time like no no one really hit you with something really good
1: (laughs) um I try to keep my mouth shut and hit them in the mouth the first chance I would get and uh, they would realize if you're not engaging them then uh, it's hard to keep talking, especially if you just got an interception or you, you had a, you you knocked their mouthpiece out. Um, so when you, when you don't engage back, um, I'll never forget my first year, uh, a guy threw a football at me and hit me on the side. and I just turned around and looked at him. Why? Because I just jammed him into the ground. Um, so you just do it again. And when they realize that you're not really engaging them back, lots of times the conversation stops. It's a rough time and it's a, a very a physical game and, is taxing you know a lot of the times like when you tackle a player for instance when I was playing you'd hit a guy and you'd give the false bravado of jumping up with it yeah but the reality of it is this guy's I'm 190 pounds he's 240 and I just got him on the ground it hurt <laughs> <laughs> they all hurt um, right so you you know it's a little false bravado with some of the conversations and stuff but the reality of it is to get through 60 minutes of football is really taxing on the body and everything else so Guys that tried to get into a conversation, I didn't really have time. I was trying to conserve my energy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That that seems like a really good place to stop. Sheldon, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to thank my guest, former Detroit Lions interim general manager and front office employee and scout and player, Sheldon White. It's a joy having him on the show. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. Follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And just if you liked the show today, if you liked what you've heard, leave us a five-star review, download, subscribe to the podcast. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll be back at you tomorrow with a mailbag edition of the show.